You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Let's continue in our worship through God's Word. We've been going through this series through the Gospel of John. As you know, we're spending about almost a year in the Gospel of John, but breaking it up into eight different series. Uh, and today we look at our final, final sermon in this segment called Encounters with Jesus, looking at these different, these handful of counter encounters that people have with Christ and what we learn about Jesus and what it means to follow him and to know him. Today we come to John chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 15. John 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to to you? You follow me. This is God's word. Well, here's a prediction, not a prophecy. Here's a prediction, right? Just a prediction. Over the next 10 years, the next 10 years for Christians, it will be very difficult to be faithful to God. It'll be very difficult to remain faithful to God and to live a life of integrity and devotion to Jesus over the next decade. That's a really easy prediction, isn't it? I'm not really going out too far. I mean, I think it's a prediction true for any 10-year period, 10 years past, 10 years future, There are challenges to the faithfulness to Jesus. There's challenges that we face. Different generations might face different challenges and temptations to their relationship with God. And our generation is no different. And ours might just be unique. Every generation, every church, every Christian is called to personally and collectively hear the words of Jesus when he says, no matter what is going on around you, you follow me. You follow me. And that's the encounter that Jesus has with Peter in our passage. The risen Jesus has just had breakfast with his disciples. It's the fourth time that he has presented himself to him in his risen, resurrected state after his crucifixion. And at some point, he takes Peter aside. He leaves the the other disciples and he takes Peter aside to have a private conversation with him. It's a conversation that predicts the kind of death that Peter will encounter, the kind of life that he'll have to live, the kind of circumstances that will come into his life, and what it means to actually be faithful to Jesus. Jesus wants to have this private conversation with him. As a result, he wants Peter to know, as a result of your faithfulness to me, 
you need to know that it will cost you everything. It'll cost you your life. It's not just a kind of foreshadow of the kind of how a death that Peter will experience or how he will die, but it deals with the issue of embracing God's will for our life, no matter how challenging it might be. And hearing the words of Jesus ring in our hearts every day, you follow me, staying fixed on his call to us to remain faithful, even in the midst of great challenge. And in this conversation, Jesus uncovers, I think, particular challenges that you and I will face that will compete with our love and faithfulness for Jesus. You'll likely notice these challenges are so relevant to our lives. They're challenges of comfort and convenience, the challenges of control over our circumstances and the challenge of comparison with the lives of others. And all of these challenges get in the way they compete for our love for Jesus. And nonetheless, Jesus says, you follow me. In the face of these challenges, he continues to invite us into a devotion and faithfulness to him. It's the same challenge that you and I will face. We will face these challenges in our life. We must choose faithfulness over comfort, faithfulness over convenience and the easy way, faithfulness over comparison to how others might be living. Let's take a look at the first of these, faithfulness over comfort and convenience. This is a really interesting conversation that Jesus has with Peter right off the bat. Jesus asks three questions. It's all the same question. Peter gives three answers, all the same answer. And in approaching Peter this way, Jesus is meaning to examine the motivation in Peter's heart. He's wanting to go with each subsequent question, which is the same, to really get down to his heart desire, to get down to his motivation. Will Peter live out his life and the remainder of his days out of a motivation for what's comfortable, for what's convenient, what is easy, what helps him be calm and serene? Or will Peter live his life out of the primary motivation that Jesus is calling him to? Out of a love for Jesus. The preeminent motivation in his heart must be a love for Jesus that motivates everything he does. Everything he engages in, what he says no to, what he says yes to, what he gives his time to must be gauged within his desire to love Jesus? Or will Peter live out his life based on what's easy, what's convenient, what's comfortable? You notice how repeating a question will often um, have this interesting effect on a person's heart? Repeating the same question over and over again, it it does something. We notice this with with children. We notice it when others repeat the same question with us. When a person's heart is filled with anger, you repeat the same question over and over again and and it starts to uh, boil over. You know, questions like, you know, did did you order the code red or something like that, you know? Right, a few good men. Anybody with me? Okay, a few good men. Did you order the code red? You know, and and you, did you order the code red? Did you order the code? You keep repeating it and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. It, It boils over whatever is in the heart. When a person's heart is filled with hurt, What's wrong? Oh, nothing, I'm okay. What's wrong? Oh, I'm fine, really. What's wrong? <laughs> Everything's wrong. You know, it's just like, it just eventually just comes out. When a person's heart's filled with guilt or shame, did, did you do it? Oh, no, I don't know what happened. Did you do it? 
No, I didn't do it. Did you do it? And then confess everything. Repetition, repeating that same question, it gets deeper and deeper. This is what, Pe- this is what Jesus is doing with Peter. Living out a life of faithfulness to Jesus has more to do what's happening in our heart with, than what is happening with our behavior. Jesus is wanting to get to that. He's wanting to get down to his real motivation. When Jesus asks, do you love me? He's really asking him, do you love me most? Do you love me more than all the other desires in your life? Do you have some conflicting allegiance of, uh, either to yourself or something else in your life that it will keep you from following me? as I've called you to follow me. You see, where does, he's asking this, where does love for Jesus rank in the order of what motivates how you live your life? It's a question for us as well. Where does love for Jesus rank in the order of what motivates you in how you live your life? Is it second? Is it third? Is it fourth? Is it somewhere top 10? Jesus keeps getting down to this core motivation and wanting to discern and to reveal in Peter, I must be first. I must be first. Well, I love Jesus, but in a similar way that, you know, I love my, my internet provider, you know, as soon as the cost outweighs the service, I'm going to shop around. But Jesus is about to tell Peter that the cost to following him will be high. And there will come time in his life when the cost is so high, he will want to abandon. He will want, he'll be tempted and challenged to place something else as a primary motivator in his life. Convenience, comfort, serenity. And his, the cost will be so high, it'll actually be of the highest that anyone can give. He says, you will give your very life for me. It'll cost you your life, and he wants to know, is there any greater love than me that I must compete with in your life? And at one point, you know, Peter, if we know his story, we'll get to it in future Sundays, but we'll learn more about Peter. But if you know him, Peter boasted that he loved Jesus more than any of the other disciples. So much so that he said, Jesus, if anybody abandons you, I will remain. I will lay, this is what Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, no, I will lay down my life for you. We know the arrogance got the best of Peter. We know he's naive. We know that he denied Jesus three times in Jesus' most vulnerable uh, time when he was arrested and crucified. We know that Peter denied having any relationship with Jesus three times after he was asked three times. And now he's been taught as much as as many of us often are, by the bitter experience of personal failure. He is much more of a humbler man now, and he does not reply with the same kind of arrogance and empty promises. He replies with the honest answer, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. When Jesus says, do you love me? He doesn't say, I will never betray you. I will do the best that I can. You will be proud of me. He did that before and he failed. But now his disposition is quite different. He says, you, you, you know my heart. You know it all. You know the weakness. You know the mess. You know the failure. You know it all. You know that I love you. In essence, Peter is saying to Jesus, you know the answer to your own question, Jesus. You know our story. 
Jesus has done a, a miraculous reordering of the loves in Peter's life. Peter was arrogant, he was naive, he was quick-tempered, and at times he even accused Jesus of underestimating his own devotion to Jesus. He desired to have the first answer and the right answer all the time. He was the first to raise his hand. He was the first to speak when there was trouble. He was the first to offer a solution when there was a problem. He was that guy, that I gotta be that guy. He placed different loves above his love for Jesus, the love of, of affection from others, the love of being right, the love of being out front and a, a good leader, the, the love of, being, uh, of, of not being afraid or a coward. And at one point, Peter felt superior to all his other disciples, all the other disciples in his ability or in his character to be the disciple that Jesus needed him to be. And now he sits as a man who failed greater than any of the other disciples. Isn't that something? And Jesus loves him still. And Jesus is there now face to face with Peter, face to face, having forgiven him, died for his sins, restored him to relationship with himself and relationships to the, to the other disciples. And he's still there saying, do you love me? Will you follow me? It's true that our love and affection for Jesus is linked to the degree to which we feel we have been forgiven by him. You know, think about this. Jesus says elsewhere, the person who has been forgiven much loves much. And what this is, is when we know how much we have fallen short of God's commands to us and standards for us, and when we know how much he has graciously forgiven us, that is correlated to how much we return love and affection to him. Why do I love God so much? Because I know how much I've been forgiven. There's no greater example than this, than in, the, in the scriptures than Peter here. No one has failed more than him at this point than all the other disciples. And Jesus is pouring out his love for him and restoring him. And Peter says, you know, you know everything. You know my heart, you know my failures, and you know my love for you. And asking Peter if he loves him, he might as well be asking him, do you know how much I've forgiven you? And has that reordered the loves in your life? To which Peter replies, you know the answer to this question. And so Peter is now in a position because of great failure and great restoration to see the grace of God more fully on display in his own life than the rest of the disciples were able to see at this point. Peter is in this wonderful position where he's able to, to see his own failure and the grace of God so abundantly both working in his life and what it has done, it has reordered his loves. It has reordered his affections, his desires to where Jesus is in the rightful place in his life where he loves him most. And it's the love of Jesus that motivates everything he does. Jesus knows what's in your heart. He knows how you have failed. He knows where you are weak and anxious. He knows where you doubt and when, where you struggle. He knows your faults and sins. And instead of dismissing you from the fellowship with him and fellowship from others, he desires to display his grace in you. And he desires to continue to invite you to follow him. 
no longer based now on a motivation to, to make him proud or to display to others around you how good you are at being a follower of Jesus. But he invites you in now, motivated by his forgiveness and love for you, so that you will now love out of a motivation from his love. And when we truly find assurance in Jesus' love, that we are accepted and adopted into his family, that we are forgiven and restored into relationship with him, only because of the righteousness of Christ and his grace poured out for us on the cross and his triumphant resurrection that gives us new life, only because of that, when we know the measure of all of that, the various loves in our life will become properly ordered. Second, third, fourth, and down the line. They will become properly ordered. The more we focus on the grace of God and love for us in the midst of failures, Jesus will stay in that top spot to love him most. He must drive, he must drive everything we do. And this conversation challenges that for Peter to draw him out, to, to ask him that question of, is it comfort? Is it convenience? Is it your way of life that you desire that is going to motivate you or is it my love for you? And Peter knows now it's, it's the love of Jesus Another challenge that Peter will face is the desire for control over his life. He is called to faithfulness over faithfulness over being sovereign over his own life and his own destiny and how things will turn out. Here's a question for you. If you were able to find out how you were going to die, would you want to know? Some of you have asked that question or maybe even answered that question before. It can be a fun game. It can be a horrible, miserable game. <laughs> Some consider it fun. Some would say, I want to know so I can, I, I want to know so I can plan, uh, maybe even a chance to kind of manipulate the circumstances that might lead up to those events uh, to alter the course of my destiny. I want to know. And some of the others would say, I, I don't want to know. Just don't tell me. I'll be fine. I'm just going to go with the flow. I'd rather just not know. Well, D Jesus basically tells, tells Peter how he's going to die. Peter will be bound. He'll be led to death beyond his own control. He'll, be, he'll have to stretch out his arms and be clothed by other people, uh, demonstrating uh, his uh, crucifixion. He will be crucified on a cross. And you'll, he says, you'll be led to a place that you don't want to go and you will be taken there by others beyond, that are outside of your control. And historical writings have tell, told us that 30 years after this um, foreshadow, after this conversation with Jesus, Peter's crucified at the hands of the Roman emperor Nero, upside down, and above there is an inscription, inscription on the cross that says, you will stretch out your hands and another will clothe you. Knowing this, Jesus says to Peter, knowing this future that is to come, I still want you to follow me. That's tough, isn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't it be better? Is like, wouldn't it be better if Jesus said, "I don't know what's going to happen, but we're in this together. Follow me." He said, "No, no. If you follow me, your earthly nightmares will come true, and I want you to do it anyway. I want you to follow me anyway." Jesus' will for Peter's life would lead to him the loss of personal will, the surrender of comfort, the loss of control the loss of freedom, the loss of life, and even still, Peter's called to follow him. Jesus told Peter this 30 years before it actually happened. For 30 years, 
The, the death sentence was over his head. What was that like? Waking up each day and saying, is, is this the day that all control is taken from me? Is this the day where I am led to that place that I do not want to go? But more clear than his death sentence was Jesus' invitation, follow me. And Peter actually did, does this. He does exactly this. More important and more of a fixation in his life was, was not the, the discomfort that would come, but the invitation of Christ, the calling of Jesus in his life that was so central to everything he did. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was called into relationship with Jesus. He was saved by his love and he was enlisted into this vital mission. And he was able to, from this to gain focus and purpose and joy to endure the life that God had called him to. He was faithful to the very end. He followed Jesus. He fed Jesus' sheep. He spread the gospel. He witnessed to the love of Christ. He pastored. He devoted his life to the glory of God. And then his life was taken from him. And when they went to crucify him, he said, don't crucify me right side up. I am not worthy to die in the same way as my Lord. Kill me upside down. Even as that moment happened, when his greatest, most earthly nightmare was coming true, he was focused on Jesus. In a word, he lived a life of faithful surrender. Because following Jesus is an invitation to exactly that. Surrender your will, your purposes, your plans to my plans. And knowing that my plans for you are good, even when you don't understand the pain that comes with them. There will be many times throughout your life as a follower of Jesus, even times, many times within the same day, <laughs> where you will need to respond to Jesus' call to follow him and will come face to face with the challenge between faithfulness and control. You will come many times throughout the day at this crossroad that says, will Follow my desire to control my life and circumstances and have things my way, or will I follow Jesus and what he's called me to do? There'll be so many times. Surrendering to Jesus means that we let go of our desire for power and control. It means we let go of our desire for uh, affection and approval from others as our primary source of identity. It means we let go of our desire to change a situation or a circumstance or a person that we feel will lead us to a more comfortable life. It means we let go of our desire to have things our way. It means we let go of our desire to have security in this world as the world defines it. And it means that we open ourselves up to the loving will of God in our life knowing that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. Only then are we freed up to experience the healing and transforming power of the grace of God in our life. Only then do we free ourselves up to walk joyfully in the will of God and experience the power of God in our lives. Think about how difficult it is to give up this kind of control in our lives today. I mean, we, we, all, we have, so many of you have like a smartwatch, 
tells you exactly what to do and how to do it throughout your day, even when to get up from your desk. Time to stand up. You stand up. Got to do that 20 more times today. You have smartphones. You have calendars that sync up with a handful of people in your life. You schedule everything. Everything is centralized on your phone. We have videos connected to our doorbells. Someone comes to our door. We can see it on our Someone's at my house. You know, we have an unsubscribe button from every email that we get. We can truly learn how to do everything on YouTube from auto mechanics to complex medical uh, procedures. We live constantly under the illusion of controlled individuality. You have control of your life at every single turn, at every single point. And we have every gadget in our life to try to convince us, what do you want to do with your life? It's up to you. Manipulate your circumstances, manipulate your surroundings, and you can have the life that you've always wanted. You're the master of your destiny. You don't need to depend on anyone. You don't need to be vulnerable to anyone. Everything you want can be tailored exactly to how you like it. This is an illusion. It is a myth. The illusion of control is constant in our world. And there is no wonder that when we live deeper and deeper in this illusion of control, that when things don't happen the way we want, we are thrust into debilitating anxiety, thrust into confusion, doubt, and depression, anger, a desire to then grip tightly to the things we have and to get things our way. It stems in part from this illusion that things are under our control. And the answer to that, primarily to regain the belief and trust that there's truly no part of our life in existence that is outside the glorious purposes of God. To regain this truth and this belief in this reality that the world and all its circumstances and all of creation is within the sustaining and governing power of God. There is not a single part of your lives that is meant to be lived independent of God. Not a single part of your life. No part of creation is outside of God's sustaining and sovereign power and ultimate aim. You see, we may not, like the Old Testament believers of God, we may not fashion an idol out of gold and worship it, but we create an idol out of control. We worship all kinds of idols, and one of them is control. The idol of, I can make my life the way I want it to be. Kristen uh, Wetherill uh, wrote a book called Fight Your Fears, and in it she writes this, trying to take control of what can't ultimately can't be ultimately controlled. We set ourselves up for fearfulness in times of inevitable, inevitable trouble. When we are trying to control the outcome of everything that happens and our experience with things beyond our control, it does not cause us to become hopeful and at peace. It causes us to be fearful about the future and fearful about what is happening in our lives. Instead of being fearful, we are to remain faithful as we rest in God's control for us. This is what Peter was able to find. This is what Jesus is ultimately inviting Peter into in the midst of this inevitable struggle and pain that you will experience, follow me. And he's, he's right there. 
Finally, we, we choose faithfulness over comparison. You know, I hope that you can appreciate Peter's response to Jesus' ominous foreshadowing. You know, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to die a difficult death for my glory. And you'll be led away by people that are not your friends to a place that you don't want to go. I want you to follow me anyway. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, okay, but what about him? <laughs> what about John? <laughs> is this normal? Are you saying this to, you're saying this to everyone. Right? You're, you're, just taking, you're just doing like one by one on one conversations with all the disciples. And you're going to go to John and say, hey, you're going to die a horrible death too. And then Thomas, oh, you're going to die a horrible, this is how it goes, right? This is what it means to be a Christian. And then Jesus applies the biblical concept of nunya. Nunya business, right? <laughs> this is what he says. He says, it, so what if I want John to die the death? You just, so what if I want him to have a life of pleasure and comfort and peace for the rest of his life? It doesn't matter. You follow me. You see, another struggle that you and I will encounter in our life and a temptation that will tempt us to walk away from the faithfulness of God is looking around and seeing how other people are living and say, it's not fair. I don't like what God has called me to. I don't like this discomfort. Why do they get to have a life of pleasure and comfort? And I don't. And then we turn that, that confusion into cruelty towards God. Well, then God's to blame. Some, God is inequitable. God isn't fair. And Jesus doesn't allow room for this kind of temptation. He says, it's really none of your business of the will that I have for different people in their life. What we know through historical account is this. Peter dies of crucifixion 30 years after this conversation. And what we know about John is that he lives a very long peaceful life, living the rest of his days on an island, dying eventually of TMB, too many birthdays. <laughs> Cause of death, too old. He was the only one of Jesus' original disciples that died by natural causes. Everyone else was a martyr. And yet Jesus had a different plan for John. And he says, what, it, what does it matter to you? You follow me. Peter is experiencing, I think, what many of us experience when something undesirable happens in our life. We ask, why is this happening to me? Does everyone go through this? This feels unfair. And you know what? We often feel comfort when we are told, it's not just you, everyone is suffering. And we say, okay, good. But here Jesus no, your comfort doesn't come from comparison with others. Your comfort comes from the call that I have on your life and knowing that it is good and knowing that I'm with you. And I will give you all that you need in the midst of that. Jesus tells Peter, I have my own plan for John and I have my plan for you. You follow me. And there's a kind of focus that he's calling Peter into. You know, when it comes to comparing our experiences with others, Jesus wants us to know it's, it's none of our business. When it comes to living a life of faithfulness, we ought to concern ourselves less, less with what others are doing and more with what Jesus has called us to do. 
What if you could divert your energy from comparing yourself, comparing yourself to everyone else and start focusing on more intently, what is God placed in my life? What gifts has he given to me? What opportunities has he given to me? What passions and desires? What have I heard him speak to me through prayer and through his word and through the observations of others? What is God? What sense do I have in what God is calling me to do? And then Jesus says, that is what you need to focus on. And we spend so much of our time saying, yeah, but, but what are they doing? And look at what they're doing. And it's not fair what they're doing. And it's, why do I have to do all this? We get distracted from what he has called us to do. And that is primarily, you follow me. You follow me. It's the kind of focus that he's calling him into that will carry through the course of his entire life. Not just in this moment, but he's saying you're gonna have to return to this focus every single day. You will live a life of comparison with others. It will distract you from my will for you, but you just keep following me. Focus on me. Focus on what I've called you to do. And later, Peter would write about this in one of his writings found in 2 Peter where he says, Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. You will never fall. This is really striking because Peter is now applying this. He's saying, you know what has kept me focused on Jesus the whole time? It is not about uh, comparing myself. It is not about having a different desire. It is about knowing what Jesus has called me to do and of focusing on that and his plan for me and just being faithful in that. What has he called you to do? Do you have a sense in what he has called you to do? Is he, is, do you have a sense of what it would look like in your life today to be obedient? What does it mean to be obedient? Well, yeah, I know that God has said this is what it means to follow him, but no one really does that. What does it matter? You follow him. Yeah, but it seems that, that, that to follow him would be really, you know, it's not very convenient. It's not very comfortable. It's not very practical. And it seems like others have found like more efficient ways of kind of going through life. What does it matter? You follow him. Peter's saying here, it's important to know that Christ has called you into relationship with him because it's the only true refuge that you have. Peter's saying, I know that he's called me because he's told me like a million times, even after I've denied him and rejected him and been unfaithful to him, he continues to call me to follow him. And that is why I'm so convinced he's called me into relationship with him. He's the only one who has never abandoned me in my failure. And I will love him and follow him. So we've looked at these three challenges. There's many more, I'm sure. But in this passage, we see these, these three striking challenges of following Jesus. The desire for comfort and convenience that it will often get in the way of our faithfulness, our desire for control over our circumstances, and our desire to compare our lives with the lives of others. And I want to bring it together in this final thought. You know what Jesus said to Peter the first time Jesus saw Peter? First time, he says, follow me. Peter screwed it all up. Right, that first time, Jesus said, follow me, Peter. And Peter says, I will be the best follower you've ever seen. <laughs> and he failed miserably. He deserted him. 
And then Jesus dies for Peter's sins and his failures. He loves him to the very end. He raises from the grave and he comes back to Peter. And he says, let's try this again. And you wonder, I wonder, what was Peter thinking? You know, what, what is he thinking? Does, does Jesus even want to, we, they haven't had this conversation yet. They haven't talked about the elephant in the room. I imagine Peter's thinking, does Jesus even want a relationship with me? Does he want to be my friend anymore? Does he care? Have I failed beyond his ability to restore me? Do I have to, what do I have to do to make it up to Jesus? But Jesus, you know, so they're all eating breakfast together and then Jesus says, Peter, I want to talk to you privately. This is it. Where, Peter, where Jesus is going to say, you know, I know you said you were going to follow me and you just didn't make the cut. But he doesn't do that. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. And then he says, follow me. You know, we, we think that our faith is the end of God's faithfulness to us. But you need to know that he's still calling you. You need to know that it, even beyond the first time that he called you to follow him and you said, I will not disappoint you. And you disappointed him. He's still calling you. He comes to talk to you, not to reprimand and not to shame you. He comes to call to you and say, you know, I, I, I died for you. I died for those sins. I died for your faithlessness. And, and I'm still calling you to follow me. He's still graciously calling you into relationship and friendship with him, faithful fellowship with him. If God grants one thing to someone and withholds it from you, it does not mean that he loves that person more than you. If God gives a life of peace to one person and a life of suffering to you, it doesn't mean that he's abandoned you. We are told to focus on following Jesus. So what story does your life tell? Are you walking by faith? Are you walking by fear? Are you walking uh, motivated by convenience and comfort or by comparison of others? Are you motivated by just desiring manipulation and control over your life and other people so that you can have things the way you, are, that you want them? Or are you following Jesus? Is the love of Jesus motivating you in your life? Peter was called to do the work of a pastor and to die a martyr and he embraced it by giving glory to God in the midst of that. John was called to bring glory to God by <laughs> drinking wine on an island until he died. Both of them were following Jesus. They both embraced it. What is your story what is your story? Whatever he's called you to, it is not a mistake. There may be times and sins uh, where your own sins are to blame for the trouble that you're in, but where some means them for evil, God means them for good, and the life that God has given to you is given to you so that you might glorify him in it. And there's one common denominator in the will of God that he gives to every person he saves and that common denominator that he gives to all his disciples and all of his children is the command, you follow me. That is our aim. That is what we fix on. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.